Hey, good evening. Good to see you, Sound Church. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's really great to be with you here tonight, and uh, especially as we're walking through the book of Acts together. It's been great, and glad you could join us. You know, last week, uh, last weekend, actually, I was gone out of town with my wife, Angelo, and I. We were able to go uh, get away uh, to the mountains for just a few days, and uh, Man, it was really great. It was just a really restful time. It was a really relaxing time. There were no kids there, so it was just us, and that made it really fun. And uh, we, we try to do this, actually, uh, just about every year, right around our anniversary. Um, and it's just a time for us where we intentionally get away to reflect a little bit on our lives, uh, think about where we're currently at, think about uh, what's been going on in our lives, how we're doing, uh, and also dream a little bit about the future, just dream about what... Uh, our future, dream about our kids' future, even dream a little bit about our church's future to some extent. And we've been doing this, I think, almost every single year for the last eight years. And uh, it's been super healthy. We absolutely love it. And this past weekend, we were uh, in Crested Butte. And if you've never been to Crested Butte, great town. It is so much fun. It's a great place to go visit. And we were up there, and we were eating in this little Mexican restaurant. And I think we were like the only two people in the entire restaurant because it was mud season. Nobody else was there yet. And uh, we had the whole place to ourselves. And we're sitting there just reflecting on our lives, and, uh, and we're thinking about our kids in particular, and, and, and the, really the whole spectrum of thinking about where they're at right now and all the little quirky things that they do right now, which they're little, so they do all kinds of weird things. And if you're a parent, you know, you, you desperately try to remember those weird things that they do for some, for some weird reason. And, and we were talking about those, and we we're all the way to dreaming about what they're going to be like as adults one day and thinking about things like, what, are they gonna, what is our daughter going to be like when she's dating? Or how awkward is their awkward stage going to be? You know, things like that that we're like, well, they know what's going to happen. Like, how bad is it going to be? And, and, and we're thinking about that. And we're reflecting. And um, I'm just trying to, like, eat my empanadas and not just weep the whole time. And, uh, and we actually, there's a number of times where the waiter was coming by. And he did that thing was like, hey, how's everybody? Oh, I'll just come back in a minute. <laughs> it's like, no, it's okay. We're really happy right now. Uh, and, and we had a great time. But the reason why I share that uh, story with you guys to start tonight is two reasons. One, um, one, if you don't have uh, some type of rhythm like that in your life right now uh, of intentional reflection, intentional dreaming about the future, whether you're married or single or dating or anything, this is for anybody. This is a really important life skill to kind of have uh, to spend intentional time away reflecting on your life and dreaming God-shaped dreams about the future. I would highly encourage you to make that a normal rhythm of your life. That's the first reason. Secondly, though, in a lot of ways, I think this is what Acts 5 does for us very practically today. Like a trip to the mountains to intentionally pause and reflect on your life. This snapshot of the early church, it actually gives us tonight a picture, I think, of where we, are, where we currently are as a church, as well as I believe where the Lord is, is leading us as he continues to mature us in our ministry here in the city. See, I read this passage, I see, I see the early church, the first followers of Jesus, nearly 2,000 years ago, and on one hand, I think, wow, like, this is no different. This is, this is no different. This is so similar to the very things that we feel and experience right here, right now, today, here in Denver, Colorado. So many similarities. And then, on the other hand, I read Acts chapter 5, and you know what I think? I'll say this up front. Here's what I 
here's what I don't think. I, I don't read stories like this now that, you know, have these miracles and uh, these healings. And I, I don't think like, oh, wow, this is so bizarre. This is crazy. Man, this is nuts. No, you know, I, I read this. And I think, wow, I think this is where the Lord is actually taking us. I read this and I, I think, wow, I, I think... This is more and more of what he wants to do around us and in us and through us as he continues to mature us as a people, as a, as a family, as a church. So that's what we're diving in tonight as we look at Acts chapter 5. We're going to reflect a little bit about where we are right now as a church and then dream a little bit where I think the Lord is, is leading us based on what he says here in this chapter. So two main points tonight. Uh, and we're going to begin with simply where we're at, where we're at. Now, if you have your Bible still in front of you, we're going to start again with verse 12. So look at Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Here's what Luke, the author of this book, says. says verse 12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and Women. Now, we're going to stop right there. If you remember what's been happening over the last several chapters in the book of Acts, we have seen uh, the first community of Jesus followers really start to grow. What started or began as a few hundred people has, has changed now, shifted into a few thousand people, and that's happened very, very quickly, which you can imagine. This is like a social phenomenon. It's crazy. You had this small religious group that at one point was probably small enough to fit into a large home, now has grown to such a size that they are meeting regularly and publicly in the city center. You see that in the end of verse 12. It says, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. That was their meeting place. It was, it was part of the temple in the heart of the city of Jerusalem, where this is the place where all the Christians would come together to worship with one another, just like we are doing at this very moment, which is amazing because from the very beginning of this entire movement, there was this commitment as followers of Jesus, there was this command. We are a people who regularly come together. We consistently gather with one another to sing and to pray, to learn, to worship. You see, it mattered. It, coming together, regularly gathering, it really mattered. And Luke, and he reminds us of this time and time again. All throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see this in the coming months. All throughout the book of Acts, he shows us here when the people of God gathered and the Spirit of God fell upon them as an outsider. If you weren't a part of this community, but it, it, from the outside, if you were an outsider looking into this, you had a lot of different options on how to respond. All kinds of different options on how you would respond. But it seems like the one option that you did not have was to ignore them. It was almost nearly impossible to ignore this Christian community as it continued to grow. There was this natural curiosity that existed around them. In fact, here's what becomes so incredible, incredible to me when I read this chapter. This is where I read Acts chapter 5 and I think, wow, this feels no different than today. Like Things really haven't changed that much. Why? Because I look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. The church is growing. The people of God we know are gathering, but... But look what Luke says in verse 13. He tells us actually three characteristics of those people who were outsiders. Three, three characteristics of those people. Verse 13, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Verse 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, 
multitudes of both men and women. Okay, now, if, if, if you're reading this carefully, this ought to feel almost paradoxical. Uh, did you catch it? Because he, he, started, what he, he started by saying some people wouldn't even dare join them. Like, they wouldn't even dare do it. I don't, I'm not entirely sure what that means. Like, I have this image that they're like, I double-dog dare you to become a Christian. Like, no way. But for whatever reason, or maybe for a whole host of reasons, joining this community, a.k.a turning to or, or surrendering your life to Jesus for salvation. It was a hard pass. Why? Well, some were literally afraid. We know that. Perhaps it was the threat of persecution. Or perhaps it was the threat of exclusion. What would my family think? What would my parents say? What would my friends do if I became a Christian? A lot of you know what that's like. You've lived through that. You've, you've walked through that. Some of these people probably had what we would call a healthy fear. Maybe they were reluctant for the right reason. Brian Turney talked about this last week, if you remember. There was this understanding that to follow Jesus, there was a lot at stake. You're not just, you're not just joining a community like you, like you join a gym or you join a sorority. No, you're converting into a brand new way of life. And it seems like these people realized something fundamental to the Christian faith, and it was this is all or nothing. Yeah, to be a Christian means I, I give it all to Jesus or none. And Luke tells us that some people just said no. Hard pass. And you know, personally, I love that Luke included that detail. Like Luke could have easily left that out. You realize that, right? Luke could have left that out. The fact that there were people who just refused to join. Honestly, I feel like this is just one of another, one of, another one of those reasons why uh, I look at the Christian scriptures as historically reliable. You know, if you're trying to convince people and win them over to your movement, you typically don't include the type of details like some people thought we were crazy and they didn't join. You know, you usually leave those things out, but he doesn't ignore it, does it? He's honest about it. Some people were afraid to join. But, continue verse 13, what does it say? Even though some wouldn't join, but the people held them in high esteem. Isn't that amazing? The people held them in high esteem. There was a certain draw to the community. There was a certain respect, a, a certain fascination with them. It's not for me, some might say, but gosh, there's really something different about them, isn't there? There's something kind of refreshing about this group of people, isn't there? Look at the way they love one another. Look at, the way they, look at the way they provide for one another. Look at the way they celebrate with one another. The way they build their lives around one another. The way they care for one another and counsel one another. The way they pray for one another and weep with one another. They sing and learn and worship and grow and change with one another. Isn't that amazing? Like, where else in our culture does that happen to such a degree? Where else do you find people who have such a strong commitment to cherishing one another, deeply loving one another, even those people who are hard to naturally love? Where else do you find people giving so generously of their, of their time and their possessions, their money for the benefit of others, even when it's not convenient? Where else do you find people who, who sacrifice so much, who worship so passionately, who celebrate so regularly? There's something clearly different about these people. And this was, this was what was happening in first century Jerusalem. That was the outsider's perspective as they watched this Christian community grow and take off. They held them in high esteem. It was impossible not to notice them. Were, were, now, were they perfect? 
No, of course not. In fact, they, they knew that. In fact, the Christians themselves, it was amazing. They had, this, um, they had this recognition. They had this understanding. Hey, we know we're not perfect. In fact, we profess that very thing. It was weird. We actually, we actually sing about that very thing. We, our songs declare how jacked up we are. Are we perfect? No. But we're repentant. The people, although they dared not join, they held them in high esteem. And then verse 14, verse 14, here, this is the paradox, okay? This, this, is, this is also kind of the transition between points one and two today because it's partly where I think we are as a church currently and partly where I believe the Lord is taking us even more as he continues to mature us. Verse 14, it was the third characteristic of outsiders. Luke says, and more than ever, Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. People were being saved. Non-Christians were becoming Christians. The spiritually dead were being made spiritually alive by their faith in Jesus. Now, wait a minute. You say, there's the paradox. Luke said just one sentence prior, none of the rest dared join them. But then he said, but more than ever, people were being saved and joining them. So which one was it? And the answer is, yes. There were those who clearly said no, but then in, the, in, in an almost unexplainable way, in an almost a miraculous way, there were those who in the midst of opposition, in the midst of fear said, yes, that's what I want my life to be about. That's what I want to give myself to. How many of you feel that tension today? How many of you have walked through that tension? You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested and I'm curious and I'm in process, but I'm also kind of scared. And I'm kind of reluctant to cross that line and be all in for Jesus. Now, if that's where you're at, here, here's what you've got to realize. So were they. They had fear. You know, they had, they had all kinds of different hesitations. They had all kinds of doubts, like many of you might have even right now. And just like today, there were no perks for showing up to work tomorrow morning and walking in announcing, you know what, I really love Jesus. I believe the whole Bible is true. You know, if you go do that at your workplace tomorrow, I'm guessing the response is not, yay, that's wonderful. No, it's like, oh, you're one of those. But what does Luke say happened? He said, no, in the midst of fear, many people, multitudes, after hearing the good news about Jesus, they crossed the line of faith. They went public in their commitment to Jesus, both men and women alike. You see, that's, in many ways, I feel like, that's where we are right now as a church. Like we have this beautiful community who loves the Lord, and we delight in following Jesus together, and, and we're caring for one another, and we're growing in our faith, and we're coming together regularly. And are, are there people around us who, who give a hard pass to all of this? Yeah, of course. Are there also multitudes of men and women? Are, are, are there also friends and neighbors maybe that, uh, that hold us in high esteem and respect us? Yeah, I think so. Are there multitudes of men and women alike, as Luke would say, more than ever before being added to the Lord? Well, how do we answer that? You know, I think on one hand, in one sense, I would say yes. When I look around our church and when I look around our city, I would say without a doubt, right now, I think there is a movement 
of the Spirit of God happening right now where people are getting saved. Some of you, even in this room today, you would say in the last few months or the last few years that God saved you and you became a disciple of Jesus. And, and even more of you, I know so many more of you might even say, you know, I'm not really sure exactly when I became a Christian, but what I do know is that in the last few months or the last few years, I've taken ownership of my faith in a way that I have never, ever, ever done before. I believe more deeply. I'm in it more than I've ever been before, and I know beyond a shadow of doubt that this is what I want my life to be all about, knowing and walking with Jesus, hearing the voice of God, being radically transformed by the Spirit for his glory and for my great joy. Can we just give thanks for that? Like, can, we, can we be grateful right now that the Lord has been so kind to us, has been so kind to you? I mean, just, just think for a moment. Think about how the kindness of the Lord has broken into your life in such remarkable ways. For those of you who call the summit home, can we just give thanks to, to, to ponder for a minute how extraordinary, how, how the Lord has provided in such generous amounts his favor and his grace. And when's the last time that you've stopped and just given thanks for things like that? See, we're in the midst right now of, of, of living out and I think in many ways living in the very thing that Jesus' first followers were committed to. I, I want us to be able to see that and to celebrate it as a church and give thanks for that because it's not like that everywhere. Here's what we have to realize. It really isn't. I mean, many of you have lived in different places. You've traveled to different places. You've gone to different cities. You've gone overseas. And you know that you will not find things like this everywhere you go. It's a gift. It is God's grace. Because you know you will not find healthy, thriving, spirit-led, Bible-teaching churches that love the gospel and want you to flourish in your walk with Jesus. And we're not patting ourselves on the back here, but we're just giving thanks for God's grace. I mean, that's his grace to us as a people. It is a gift. I want us to be a grateful people, a people who can see the hand of God at work and give thanks. Now, that's where I think we're at right now. Our, our church family, I believe, is healthy. I think the Lord's been kind. I think he has been uh, at work. And you know, when I read this passage and I just think about this for us and our, our story and for you individually in your life right now, I, I read Acts chapter 5 and I just can't help but think, I think the Lord wants to do even more. I think the Lord wants to do even more. So this is what I'm calling point two, uh, where we are, parentheses, humbly asking the Lord in his grace to take us. Where, where we are humbly asking the Lord in his grace to take us. Now, this is not, uh, here's our initiative or here's our strategy uh, for the next 12 months of ministry. No, that would all be really, really silly. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Uh, you know what this is? This is like uh, when you were a kid watching Michael Jordan play basketball. Or probably for a lot of you, it's more like LeBron or somebody like that. Uh, it's like, who's Michael Jordan? Uh, this is like watching Misty Copeland dance. This is like, I don't, anything, like this is, this is like watching your grandfather catch a fish. 
I know those are all very different categories, but uh, <laughs> what, what's the same about them, though? Like, what, what's the similarity in every one of those situations? You would sit in front of the TV, or you'd be in that situation, you would look, and you would look at that person, and you would say, I want to be like that when I grow up. Right? I want to be like that when I grow up. That's how I've been reading Acts chapter 5 all week. This is what I want to be. This is what I want us to be as we grow up. It's what I'm dreaming and praying for our church. When Luke says in verse 14, look at verse 14, he says, and more than ever, I mean, more than ever, just think about that for a moment, more than any other time or any other season or any other chapter in the history of the world, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. I mean, who else wants that? Like, how many of you want to see that? Not just a few individuals here and there from time to time, but multitudes of both men and women coming to the Lord for salvation. Multitudes coming to Jesus for healing in unprecedented ways in the history of our city. I want to see that. Man, I want to see multitudes of men. I want to see the men of Denver, men who are trapped in disgusting cycles of sin. Men living for all the wrong reasons. Men even, I'm going to say it, I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it. Men who are riding all the scooters down our street every single day, acting like bros all the time. I want to see them passionately, radically wrecked by the love of Jesus. And they can still ride their scooters. I want to see multitudes of women. Man, I want to see women. I want to see, I want to see women finding unconditional love and acceptance as sisters in Christ as daughters of the king, finding that acceptance and that love for no other reason other than the fact that they've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do we want that? Do we want to see that happen more than ever? Believers being added to the Lord by the multitudes of both men and women. I want that. I want us to want that. And here's where it gets even crazier. Here's where I'm humbly asking the Lord in his grace to take it even further I even want it to happen in the same way now that it happened then. That's what I'm praying right now. Look at verse 12. Luke says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Skip to verse 15. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets, and they laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns all around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Here's what I know. Here's what we all know. We are surrounded by physically and spiritually sick people who are desperately in need of God's miraculous healing. We are surrounded by physically and spiritually sick people who are desperately in need of God's miraculous healing. You know, I told you all week I've been meditating on this passage, just praying, God, help us to grow into this. Help us to be a people who grow up this way, who, 
who are matured in this way. And I, as I was praying this this week, it, it, it struck me. Until this week, to the best of my recollection, I'm not sure that I've actually ever asked God to perform miraculous signs and wonders. I've asked God to heal people. I've even asked God to miraculously heal people. We're going to do that tonight. We're going to ask God to heal. I've even asked God to miraculously heal people for his glory and his fame. But when I came to this verse and see, and when I see the people of God, even a chapter before in Acts chapter 4, when they are gathered together, these first Christians crying out to God, desperately begging God for his power to be put on display, for signs and wonders to go forward so that not only people would be physically and spiritually healed, but so that they would come to faith in Christ. I was struck, I just realized, you know, I don't think I've ever actually prayed for God to do signs and wonders in our midst, to do the miraculous. And so as I continued to pray this week, my prayer, I think in many ways, just started as a prayer of repentance. God, I think my faith is too small, and I think that I don't really believe maybe that you want to or are capable of, of healing and, and showing yourself in that way. And so I want you to change that in me. I want to repent from that. I want you to then increase my faith. As I was doing that, I was reminded of some of the words from the book of James. And I feel like they were so helpful and applicable because James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him, what? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We're about to do both of those things in just a minute. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to read that again. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know, this week, as, I'm, as I've just been meditating on this and praying through this passage and preparing for tonight, my prayer has just been more and more, God, will you mark us as a people like this? Like, will you help us grow up into this? Like, is it possible for us, is it possible for this to be true of the people of the summit and our city for for it to be said one day, someday, in the coming months or the coming years, that multitudes of both men and women alike were being added to the Lord as believers because of the miraculous signs and wonders, the, the miraculous healing that was done in the name of Jesus Christ. I want that. Do we want that? I think we want that. I think that's the, the type of church we want, the type of church we want to walk in. And I think part of it is that we just need to ask. We need to regularly go before the Lord as the people of God, begging him desperately to do that. And so, I, you know, to be honest, um, I don't have a lot of great action steps for you tonight to walk away with this week, other than what would it look like for you to dream about that this week? Like, what would it look like for your prayers to be altered in such a way that they 
they begin to reflect what we see here in Acts chapter 5, that you begin praying for the miraculous, that you begin praying for the Lord to do signs and wonders, that you pray for multitudes of both men and women to join the family of God. That's what I want. I think that's what we all want. And I think the Lord just wants us to ask and to ask and to ask and to keep asking and coming before him like a good father as his children. So that's what we're going to do now. And in just a moment, we're going to have a number of different options for you to be able to respond as well. So why don't we pray right now? God, we give you thanks. God, we thank, we thank you for Acts chapter 5, seeing this picture of some of your very first followers who who recognized their desperate neediness for you. They weren't afraid to walk in that neediness. They weren't afraid to declare their dependency. God, they cried out to you asking you to do all the heavy lifting to see men and women come to be saved. God, that's what we want. God, that's what we want to be praying for, that your spirit would be so present and active here amongst our church and around our city that lives would be transformed for your glory. That spirit, that you would do the healing that only you can do. God, we, we need that. We ask for that. Even tonight in this room, we know that there are, there are brothers and sisters in this room who are struggling, whether that be physically or emotionally or spiritually, God, we pray that your spirit would come very close right now and miraculously heal, providing relief, providing care that only you can do. God, we believe that you are not only capable, but you are desirous of saving and healing. And so, Father, we just ask that your will be done. In the name of Jesus, amen.